Welcome to Climate Insiders, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of Europe's climate tech revolution, brought to you by Clementum Capital. I'm Johan Berno, a general partner at Clementum, and I'll be your host. In each episode, I'll have one of Europe's top founders and investors, and we will try to understand how they think about climate, what has led to their success, and what are the best insights they can share with you to accelerate your climate journey. There will be a lot of terrific guests on this show, and we won't shy away from spikes, secrets, and contrarian views. To make sure you don't miss out on any episode and access all the insights, you can subscribe at climateinsiders.co. Hi, guys. Our guest today is Christian Fullman. He's the founder and CEO at C1, Circular Carbon Chemistry a Berlin-based startup developing climate-friendly chemicals, for example, green methanol. He's been involved in over 70 startups to date, has built several companies from zero to successful exits, including one in the New York Stock Exchange. We are receiving Christian on the show for his active involvement in the climate tech space as both an entrepreneur and a business angel. In this episode, we will go deep into green chemistry and the vital role of angels to recycle the money they made from previous exits into the climate tech ecosystem. So we're glad to have one of the most active angel investors in Germany. Let's go. So, hey, Christian, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome hey, to Climate on. Insiders. Nice to be here. To kick things off, I'd like to get personal for a minute and better understand one pivotal moment in your career. You mentioned that you, your three kids challenged you to go from contributor to climate change to becoming part of the solution. How did that transformation happen and how do you think it could inspire others? Yeah, so a few years back, uh, I started a social neighborhood network because I was driven by um, the need to do something for defense of our democracy and, uh, you know, social cohesion. Uh, and I thought that neighborhood networks could play an important part. So I founded Nebenan.de. Uh, and seven years into that, mm -hmm. um, I realized we we're doing a good job on that cause, but there was another cause that was getting more and more urgent from my point of view. And in the end, my kids really, uh, yeah, tipped me over the tipping point, right? By really starting to ask, uh, whether I intended to do something about the problem, because we are all part of the problem with our, you know, way of living, our consumption, etc. Uh, and my kids challenged me, you know, to get my, uh, ass of my, <laughs> of, uh, stand up and do something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> that's how it happened. And, and you're, you're a busy man. You could have opted to become more of an investor, right? Become a VC or, uh, but you decided to become a startup founder again. Uh, why another startup and how many startups did you found so far? How many did you invest in? Just kind yeah. of giving us. So this is the picture. fifth startup that I'm founding. Um, and as a business angel, I've invested in around 85 startups uh, ever since 2005. So I've wow. done this for quite some time. Um, and um, yeah, why founder? I have a very strong bias to action, right? Um, I, I follow the discussion and um, I, I read about the topic and I grow increasingly frustrated by the fact that I think we don't have a problem of understanding but we really now have a problem of, we have a lack of execution and a lack of action. And yeah, as mm -hmm. I, I'm just a, I am a founder. Uh, I'm not an investor. I'm a business angel as a hobby, but you know, my profession is being a founder and just doing things. 
that's a big hobby to invest in 85 companies. <laughs> and so now you've picked your next gig or next avenue, which is green chemistry. Could you paint us a picture of how um, methanol um, um, entered the picture to you? And, and, and kind of, you know, stepping back, how is it produced today? What is it used for? Kinda yeah, I have the, to step even one step further back because what you have to understand is that uh, green methanol is only the first product of C1, the company we just started. Um, okay. Underlying is a quantum mechanical innovation platform. So my co-founder, Marek, who, who I've, I've teamed up with, he has been simulating chemistry on the computer for 14 years by now, and he's perfected his um, algorithms and his models so he can really um, simulate chemical reactions on the computer. Uh, and that's really an innovation platform that uh, the first innovation we're spinning out now as a product is a new way to produce methanol. Um, but later we want to go back to that platform and rethink other chemical production processes in a green way. So it's really about reinventing green chemistry. Green methanol is our first product. It's, it's the first patent. Plan. We patented. And um, so today methanol is produced uh still in the basically the same way that it was produced for the last 100 years so, so the current production process is 100 years old dates back to a patent from 1921 it's produced 100% from fossil um sources so gas or coal and it's a very inefficient process um that's because um kinetics and thermodynamics actually work against each other in that process and what Marek invented is a completely new way of producing it. So we're going from a heterogeneous catalysis to a homogeneous catalysis. And this solves a lot of this underlying problems, making it much more efficient. And this opens basically up, opens up the way to tap green feedstocks. So to produce methanol, not from gas or coal, but from, for example, waste biomass or in the medium long term, captured CO2 and green hydrogen. What was preventing it from happening before? So the process is different using uh, uh, bioproducts that are natural. It's much more sustainable. What was uh, the so the, the um, economics just don't add up. It's too expensive. You can produce green methanol from green feedstocks using the old method. But since it's very inefficient, so to, just to give an idea, you have to produce uh, something called synthesis gas, which is carbon uh, CO plus H2, and then transform that in a methanol catalysis. And the old process uh, has a selectivity of only of below 10%. So only 10% is converted to methanol. The rest you have to re-loop. Then there's a lot of uh, unwanted byproducts that uh, threaten to poison your catalyst. So you have to perch part of your syn gas, which is the most expensive input factor. Uh, and then you have, um, you have to operate the whole thing at a very high temperature and uh, at a very high pressure, which uh, means lots of capex and opex. And it's just too uh, inefficient to use with green feedstocks. And what's the economic perspective of C1 now? How do you, you said economics were the blocking factor. What has changed now? And and describe how you make money or intend to make yeah, money. Yeah, so basically, 
um, in the near future. Our new way of producing, as I said, has both CAPEX and OPEX cost advantages. So it's cheaper, but it also has two strategic advantages. It scales much better than the old process and it's much more flexible. So you can actually much better work with renewable energy, which is also quite flexible as we know. And, uh, those, this combination of cost advantages and, and flexibility and scalability, um, enable us to tap into green feedstocks, right? So we'll start with, uh, waste biomass and produce green uh, methanol from waste biomass. And, um, we know that, uh, if we get to a certain scale, we can be cost competitive with fossil methanol produced in Europe. Um, actually basically, uh, from right from the start, um, and that's a very, very powerful thing to do because then the green premium is, uh, is not there anymore. And, you know, that's uh, really the goal to reduce the green premium for on green methanol. That's right. So the, the green premium uh, for those listening is the, the fact that switching to a sustainable solution typically comes up at a cost, uh, which is typically too high or has been too high. Uh, but C1 is bringing that cost down by making it more economy, economical. You said to convert hydrogen into a methanol using waste CO2. So uh, there is uh, there is uh, several routes. So we have to produce uh, this mm-hmm. sun gas uh, from a green source, right? Um, we will start. So our first route will be uh, waste biomass because this is uh, available and the economics uh, are favorable. And, um, there is enough, um, waste biomass available to scale for the next five to 10 years. So this is a, a quick way to, um, produce, uh, at uh, cost competitive with fossil methanol today. This is what we'll start with in the long run. If you look at the scale up in terms of uh, how many million tons we need to produce, um, we will uh, then go to captured CO2 and green hydrogen, right? Um, why later? Because there we are a bit dependent on the re- the green hydrogen ramp up um, because we, you know, we would, we need green hydrogen uh, and that's being developed, but it's not there yet. And of course, in terms of captured CO2, uh, you know, we can work at point sources, capture CO2, for example, in cement production, where it's unavoidable CO2, you cannot avoid CO2 in cement production. Uh, so we could use that, for example, or we can use uh, CO2 that's captured with direct air capture technology. But there again, the economics are not quite there yet, right? We all know that this uh, mm. is still a little bit of uh, looking ahead. Right, it's a bit immature yet. It will take a couple of years to reach a certain scale. And going back to the economics, who's your customer today or, or who's the prime uh, profile? Is that more corporates? Is that more big chemical? Yeah, there's, there's two big markets, really. Um, one is now just develop, you know, developing and that is shipping. So the container shipping industry looks at green methanol as a fuel alternative because it solves two of their emission problems, it solves the CO2 problem. If they use green methanol as a fuel, uh, they can run the ship carbon neutral um, because of course, when you burn it, CO2 is released. But then for example, in the waste biomass route, 
plants are um, using CO2 via phot photosynthesis to uh, produce biomass and oxygen as a byproduct. And we take waste biomass to produce green methanol again. So you have a closed carbon circle, right? So we're always about closing the carbon loops um, instead of taking out more fossils from the earth and burning them. Um, you know, we drive that CO2 in circles. This is uh, one market that's just uh, developing. Maersk as the biggest container shipping company in the world has just ordered 12 container ships that will run on green methanol. The first one being delivered in Q1 2024. So that's one big off taker for green methanol. And the, and just to give you an idea of the scale today, uh, there's a hundred million tons of meth fossil methanol produced. If the shipping industry were to switch a hundred percent to green methanol today, they would need 500 million tons. So the market would grow times six. Um, so just so you, you get an idea of the scale of the problem, right? Mm -hmm. And the second market for green methanol yes. is the chemical industry because the chemical industry, and that's really interesting, can produce anything that it produces today from oil, gas, or coal, also from methanol. So if they use green methanol to produce the carbon-based products like paints, adhesives, plastics, um, all kinds of things, uh, they could actually also become uh, carbon neutral. And now uh, looking at the bottleneck as a, as a startup, would you say that the R&D getting to the point where you have a mature product that seems to, to, to fit all the criteria from those, those large customers um, or the production? Uh, what is the most challenging bottleneck of a green chemistry startup? Yeah, there? so we have uh, three major work streams in our company, right? One is to advance uh, the chemistry further. So improve. So what we've found and patented is a family of catalysts uh, that work very differently. Um, they are much more effective. So we have a selectivity of 95%. So basically 95% is of the input is converted to methanol in the first run. Um, we can work at much lower temperatures um, and much lower pressure, which uh, makes it a much more favorable, favorable and easier to manage process. And um, but we are there. We are just at the start of the optimization space, right? We've discovered that family of catalysts. We've randomly picked the first catalyst we're working with that now, but there might be others that are even more efficient, uh, selective, etc. Then we're also working on how, you know, recycling that catalyst so we get a longer lifetime. We're working on the supply chain, how to bring the cost of producing that catalyst down, because that, of course, also affects our economics. So that's the chemi chemistry work stream. Um, and then, of course, we have the engineering work stream, right? We, at the moment, um, we are in a chemical park producing methanol in very small uh, quantities, and we're working in a, in a batch process still. Uh, so we need now to make turn this into a continuous chemical production process. And this is the engineering part, right? So a lot of kinetic modeling, uh, laying out uh, of the reactor, choosing which reactor type is the right one, and basically engineering the whole process. So and this, I would say, actually is at the moment the biggest bottleneck. Um, and then the third work stream is business development and, and uh, you know, talking to off-takers, etc., uh, but this is actually rather easy because, you know, 
companies are calling us asking, can you already sell methanol? How much? At what price? Mm -hmm. uh, so the demand for green methanol is, is out there and no one is producing as of now. So that's not the big uh, issue, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. We, we tend to notice that, right? The fact that there's a pent up demand for the enormous solutions, which make, you know, startup like yours that have a, is a real solution instantly viable. And, and talking about you as a startup founder, you have essentially two choices to make early on is going the VC route, trying to raise a lot of capital so you can, you know, uh, onboard a lot more people in the team and scale faster or the bootstrapped option, which is uh, trying to keep expenses low. What, what is your general go-to rule when it comes to, to the first two years of a business? Is it grabbing more upfront capital or to try keeping expenses low and until you push it? That's a very clear down? answer to that, Johan. And that is, it depends. <laughs> uh, it really depends, right? Uh, it really <laughs> depends on the business model, right? This, what, what we're trying to do, you couldn't bootstrap. No way. I mean, um, I just explained to you that, you know, uh, only, if only shipping were to switch to green methanol, we would need six times the quantity that the world is producing today and not from fossil, which is an established process, but from green sources. So the, uh, scale of the problem is enormous. So you really need to, and plus we all know that climate change is not waiting and the clock is ticking and time is actually running out. So we have a super high sense of urgency. We need to move fast. Uh, we need to produce tangible results really fast. So, you know, I need capital. I need the best people. I need to scale. Um, I, I cannot bootstrap. No way. Right. But for other business models, it might be the right thing so, to do. Right. So, so that's a good insight for other founders that are taking tough verticals, especially hardware, really complex uh, solutions to push. Does that mean that your path to scalability requires more bigger and bigger and bigger rounds? And do you think the current valuation, the race to the top in valuations is justified? Uh, well, look, uh, I, I think the important thing is that there is uh, more and more capital flowing into green tech, climate tech space, right? Because that's what we need. Uh, of course, we also need the solutions, right? So only the capital without the right teams and the right technologies will will not work. Um, but, you know, mm -hmm. I think we do have great founders. We do have great technology. When I, when I look at Germany and uh, in, in particular, you know, we have excellent technology. We have great scientists. What we really need to get better at and what also we would like to try to be an example for is that, you know, the, the serial founder guy like me teams up with the deep tech scientist who has been working on this for 14 years, absolute expert in his field. Um, I honestly think he's a genius, right? And, but he doesn't know how to, mm -hmm. uh, scale a company, right? That's just not his, not what he's been doing the last 14 years. Um, he's been doing science and, but if we team up, And then we, we got another uh, founder, Ralf, who is the chemical engineer. So who works on the engineering part. And we've got uh, Christoph. Um, so we have four founders. Christoph really is the uh, techno-economic expert and, and the strategy person working on the business development and our strategy and doing a great job there. And so we really have a very complementary team. And that's where, where the magic happens. And if you then... Uh, you know, have a technology which is uh, defendable like ours. It's patented. Um, mm -hmm. Plus, it's really disruptive. Uh, you know, it really brings down 
the green premium because you said um, we need the we need uh, startups who are who are there and, and and it's viable but it's only viable if it's the green premium is not too high right um, and uh, and that's what we have here right once we can go to market uh, we'll have we'll have a small green premium but uh, everyone is willing to pay that because the pressure on shipping to decarbonize is, is very very big You're bringing a very important point here. You're saying that we do, and this Germany, it's also the case of the rest of Europe, great technical skill set, amazing founders, great PhDs. But there's a lack of business acumen or uh, understanding how to scale a company, how to market it, how to raise capital. But there's also a lack of capital efficiency, where in more mature markets like in Silicon Valley, in the US, and now in, in Asia, there seems to be a recycling of capital from success founders to new startups, et cetera, et cetera. So you are one of that first wave or second waves, if, uh, if you will, of those successful founders that are reinvesting their own capital into. So how can we encourage more, more of people like you, more of people in, in tech hubs to, instead of buying real estate, putting money yeah, in I've, startups. I've preached this for uh, the last 15 years, believe me. Um, and being in Berlin, I could also have invested in real estate, you know, uh, mm -hmm. and I would have made a nice return uh, for sure. But yeah, I don't know if I think if you're passionate about something, you should put your money where your mouth is, right? So I never understood why there's so many successful founders putting so much proportion of their wealth into real estate. My, I can only say, I think you have to lead by example, put your money where your mouth is and um, mm -hmm. be a role model. Um, I can only say that the majority of my wealth is in startups. Um, I'm a limited partner in various uh, funds. I'm a business angel myself. I have, it's a lot of work, yes, but I have a business angel back office who are um, helping me with this. So this really helps to okay. scale your impact. And um, I can only encourage uh, others to really you know, rethink because where you put your money, makes a big, big difference. And the ecosystems we see in Silicon Valley and other places were built by exactly like this, right? The Silicon Valley, uh, the Silicon semiconductor founders invested into the first hardware founders, hardware founders invested into the software founders, software into internet, internet, and it becomes faster and faster and bigger and bigger. That's right. The general shift is getting is shrinking and it's accelerating. That's very interesting what you're saying. So you do have a back office to 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 high net worth individuals or successful founders out there that just think it's too much of a barrier to entry, uh, but it's also valid to anyone out there that doesn't have the skill set to do angel investment. Any any tip or, or trick did you have to to chase or set up that foundational level? Of the back office, or or do you think there are outlets doing it? Yeah, and there, there are outlets. Um, of course, it costs some money, right? It, you don't get it for free. Uh, it, it's work, and they need to get paid as well. Um, if you if you shy away from that, then just invest into uh, early stage or into into venture capital funds, right? I mean, almost all the venture funds I know are now mm -hmm. opening up for uh, founders. And, and also uh, have reduced their, their minimum ticket sizes, usually to 200,000 euros, sometimes even lower. And um, mm -hmm. so, you know, if you shy away from the work, it is a lot of work to be an angel, um, then, well, you know, just pick a few uh, funds and, and invest there. Uh, it's, it's indirect, but it's still your money ends up in, in the startup ecosystem. And, and looking back in hindsight, so 85 angel investments, you've done, um, I don't know how many uh, LP tickets, so investment in funds. Uh, looking back, what has uh, brought you more satisfaction? 
in terms of knowledge, mental stimulation, but also better diversification and better returns. Uh, is it too yeah, early to tell? That's too early to tell because I only started investing into venture capital funds uh, a few years ago. Before that, I, I actually shied. Up. They were not open for you know smaller tickets from founders back then. Um, it, that only started mm -hmm. four or five years ago. And the second thing is, I shied away from the from the carry. I was a bit too you know. Uh, I thought, okay, I, I give away twenty percent of the upside, so I, I I rather do it myself. Mm. But now I see that it's it's just you know if you want um, to do a thorough due diligence and. Uh, It's just very time consuming. So now, you know, now I'm That's really right. more on, on the venture capital side again, because I need to focus on C1. This is my mission I'm on and I have investors in C1 and I need to make this successful. So, uh, I, I, I have to reduce distraction and to be able to fully focus. And, and just a last question on the general investment. What is your general rule uh, of thumb or strategy when it comes to angel investment? Has it been a spray and pray for maximum diversification or a more targeted and more concentrated? Yeah, angel investing is super uh, personal. Um, I've been rather all over the place because I've really, my, my, the only rule I had is that I, I really invest in the people. Um, and mm -hmm. yeah, and, and then over time, different uh, trends or industries have caught my attention or interest. So, I'm a bit all over the place, not because I went in and said, I have to spray and pray and, and diversify as much as possible. That wasn't even the reason, but, um, you know, I, I, I very much invest in people. And, um, uh, if I can identify with their, the cause they are after, um, then, you know, I, I usually invest. Um, yeah. So, um, But I, I know angels that are very successful with a certain strategy. And, uh, so there is no right or wrong. I think every angel has to find their own style. Yeah. And you're talking about people. There's the other side of people, which is all those, this beautiful talent waiting on the sideline, looking for great opportunities to, to, to jump into climate tech. What advice would you have for them? And where would you say they should start? You mean as, as founders or as investors? As workers, ah. employees, or people that do not have the skill set or the gut to start a business, but they want to learn somewhere and then enter, penetrate yeah. the um, community. I would say um, just uh, you know start with mapping out the space. I mean, think about what interests you most, uh, which solutions or sectors do you do you believe in, or where do you think you can apply your skill set best? Uh, map out the space. What kind of startups are there? Um, also think a bit about, you know, do you want to come in very early uh, or rather later? You know, if you come in early, you probably can get a bigger stock option package, but also it's riskier. Um, later is risk is already a bit less. So, you know, think about and and then, uh, I mean, go and try to talk to the founders, right? Apply, uh, take, take, the take the initiative um, and, and get involved. So there is plenty of opportunity, I think. So talk to the founders. In your case, to join C1, they should uh, reach out to you I'm, directly. Yeah, totally, totally fine. You can ready? find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, just reach out. And okay. um, yeah, we have open positions on our webpage, of course, but uh, those are very technical, like chemists and engineers. Um, but uh, mm -hmm. there will be uh, other positions coming up as well. And in the end, you know, sometimes you're lucky and uh, you you 
take the initiative and, and you get hired. So just go for it. Great. And uh, Christian, I wanted to, to jump into a rapid fire round. Yeah, I do. You know the principle, two options. You give me briefly your preferred one. The first one is um, a founder versus an investor. What do you think personally, what do you personally think drives the most Definitely impact? founder. Okay. Can you double click on that? I've gone in, you know, in circle. Uh, that why that is? Um, well, I mean, the founder is doing it, right? Uh, the investor is only providing uh, the capital needed. And um, yeah, very often it could be, it could have been another, a different investor and the founder would still have been successful. You know, if, if we're very honest, that's, I think, the case. But nevertheless, of course, it's important to have climate tech investors who are putting the money because they are mm -hmm. doing the job of collecting it from from their LPs and moving it into the right direction. So they only they also play an important role. But in the end, um, it's it's really the founder who either makes it or doesn't. The founders yeah. are the doers. Next question is getting acquired versus IPO. What is the more likely scenario for Oh, Simon? that's much too early to talk about. But I uh, what I can see is uh, the potential for this is very, very big. Um, it's not only shipping, it's also carbon-based chemical product production, which is huge. Um, also, if you think about that, the underlying technology platform can I innovate other processes. Uh, just to give you an example, more like one-third of global GDP is based on one catalysis or another. So chemical catalysis, even though most people don't are not aware of it, is the basis of so many things and so many things we produce and, and consume uh, that the potential is enormous. And on the other hand, I see that a lot of people, uh, almost anyone I, I, I talk to, wants to invest their money more into climate tech. So I think, you know, an IPO would be, would actually be logical, right? Mm -hmm. All right. That's great to have good ambitions. And to get there, you need either and this is my last question, to build a monopoly or to remain niche. And I see two potential avenues, right, of building a green chemistry monopoly uh, as a platform or to keep it niche and own your verticals. Where is your preferred option? Well, um, the good news is we don't have to decide yet what our business model looks like exactly um, because first we have to uh, finish the technology um, And, you know, so we still have some time to decide. But what I can tell you is that the North Star of C1 is to help reduce CO2, as much CO2 as, as quickly as possible. And that's what we align our strategy and our decisions with. So if we are faced with a decision, do we go left or right? We choose the path that saves more CO2 quicker. And I think that what would has the potential to save the most CO2 is if we get this technology to um, uh, to a stage where we can license it out because it, it's, it's proven to work at scale and then license it out to um, non-exclusively to as many partners out there as possible who then take it and run and it creates a competition because it's non-exclusive. So there's competition on who can scale it fastest, best, most efficient, etc. That will probably help save most CO2. Um, the quantities needed, I think, you know, for us to produce them ourselves just takes much longer as if there is a multiple 
uh, a number of partners doing the same thing at the same time with a lot of experience in chemi chemical production and then go back and reinvent the next chemical process, do the same thing again, combine it with chemical engineering, get it to uh, scalable uh, mass production, and then again, license it out uh, non-exclusively to get the next race started. So I think that's what will save most CO2. Okay, and, and you, you prompted a bonus question. I didn't plan that one, but I'm actually personally curious. You mentioned the North Star. As a founder, you want to reduce CO2, you want uh, to help in the climate fight. Do you think uh, what matters most as a founder getting into the next business is to uh, look at a problem set, to fall in love with a problem, or is it much more about assembling the right team and then you'll figure out the business way, the path to scalability. So uh, falling in love with a problem and if you end up di diverging from that problem, you just uh, and you know close the business and you jump into the next opportunity or um, the team will figure out a path to market? That's, that's a tough one. Um, so there is serial founders who always found uh, the next company with the same team. So the team is kind of following them. I've not fallen into that category. I've started uh, the neighborhood social network with a different team than C1. Um, so I think... I'm, I'm really, you know, problem and cause based. Um, I haven't been always mm -hmm. at the beginning was probably different, but that's what I've found to work best for me. So I've, you know, uh, I've not fallen in love with CO2, but I, you know, I'm very worried, uh, about CO2. And I really think that we are endangering the future of our children and grandchildren. And, um, this planet could become inhabitable so we really need to act and fast and we need uh, solutions that work at scale um, it's a huge problem and uh, so yeah i've i've decided this is what i want to do that's why i'm here and that's what i want to dedicate all my energy to um and now i've you know tried to find the biggest and as a as a so i, I studied business right so i as a businessman you you think in um uh, Grenzkosten and Grenznutzen, which is in English, uh, marginal cost and marginal utility, right? So I think a lot in marginal mm -hmm. utility. So where, as Christian Vollmann, the person I am with the knowledge I have, the network, the experience, where can I have the biggest lever on the problem that I want to tackle? And so I've did my research and I decided if I can be the catalyst who en enables Marek's invention to scale, then this will be the single biggest uh, lever I can develop. And that's what I'm focused on now. So, you know, I've, that, that's my approach. Here, here. That is a great message to all of you guys listening. Try to find your personal denominator that will provide your, uh, the maximum lever to, the, to this cause. And falling in love with CO2 is not the objective. Falling in love with our planet and make sure we protect it. Through uh, through capital and and startups is certainly the, the the brightest future we can imagine. So thanks so much, Christian, for this nice conversation on green chemistry, on your role as a climate tech angel, and you already mentioned for the best way for people to reach out. Thanks for thanks, coming Johan. on the show. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. And to all of you, thanks for tuning in. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of Climate Insiders, the leading climate tech podcast in Europe. If you've enjoyed this, be sure to subscribe at climateinsiders.co. Climate Insiders is brought to you by Clementum Capital, a late seed to Series A climate tech VC. To learn more about Clementum Capital, apply for funding or become an LP, visit clementum.com.